Okay, yeah, that's that's better. Now, do I have to repeat all that? No. no okay, no, I won't. I won't. <laughs> but um, as I was thinking about today, I realized at one point there were two in- interesting events happening, and then I thought, oh, there's a third one, and then I think there's a fourth one. I'm going to talk about two of them today. But anyway, the first interesting event uh, thing about today is that it's Groundhog Day. And uh, I don't know what the groundhog saw, whether he, uh, whether he saw a shadow or not, and even though then I don't remember what, what, which one means, but um, I'm looking forward to spring, as I'm sure you are as well. The second interesting thing about today is that this is the only day in a long, long, long time that the date is the same forwards as backwards. 02, 02, 20, or 2020, or, or yeah, yeah, 02, 02, 20, 20, right? Okay. Those are the ones I'm not going to talk about the rest of the day. But today is also football Sunday, or Super Bowl Sunday. And I'm sure that some of you are looking forward to uh, being, watching the game today. I hope that you'll be home in time for it. Dan <laughs> said for me to go as long as I want, so I may take him up with that, with that. but I'm, I'm sure you'll be home in time for the big game. The other important event that's happening today is communion. And as I was thinking about uh, the Super Bowl and communion, I wondered... How can I relate football and communion? Well, I think I came up sort of sort of an idea. Um, I think that most of you, or many of you, will recognize the name Tim Tebow. At least I hope you do. And if you haven't read his book Unshaken, you should read it because really, 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 really good. But he was—I'm—I'm uh, I'm not exactly sure what he's doing right now, except that he just married a supermodel or a, a, a beauty, beauty contest winner. But he was the, uh, the uh, former quarterback of the Denver's, Denver Broncos football team. And I was, as I was reading Unshaken and reading about his history, I thought, what a, a, a great guy, because he's gone from the highs to the lows and everything in between. He was, uh, he was, the, he was born to a mother who was advised to have an abortion, so he's almost an abortion survivor. He won the Heisman Trophy, then he was cut from both football teams. But in the meantime, he's had some great successes, some great highs, some great lows, but his, his faith has remained strong. And if I was to think about a, somebody I would call a hero, I might call Tim, Tim Tebow one of my heroes. But he was um, featured prominently in sports reports and in, in regular news because he was considered to be one of the, the best players in the game. He led the Denver Broncos to, uh, to many victories, uh, victories on several occasions. And often he came through at the, at the last minute, in the last minute of play, when it seemed as though the team was going to lose, and then Tim Tebow came along and they won. But every time he scored a touchdown, he got down on one knee, he bowed his head, and he thanked God for that touchdown. He gave glory to God. It was called, it became known as T-Boying. And he started taking the knee, knee uh, long before it became a thing, a, a thing of protest. Instead, he was taking his, taking the knee in order to th- give thanks to God for what he had accomplished. Now, some people loved the fact that he did. Others were annoyed that he brought his faith into the game of football. Some people thought that he made too big a deal of it, that he shouldn't have done something so obvious. And I don't know what you think, but I think that it is great to see someone who has been, who is so successful, thank God, instead of taking all the glory for themselves. And that's what he was doing. He was thanking God for the ability that God had given to him. 
And now that I hear about him, I, I admire him. And Rick Riley, uh, I don't know who he is, but he wrote about, about how much Tim Tebow cared for other people. He said, each week, Tebow picks out someone who is suffering or who is or who's dying or who is injured. He flies these people and their families to the Broncos game, rents them a car, puts them up in a nice hotel, buys them dinner, gets them and their, their families pre-game passes, visits with them just before the kickoff, gets them 30-yard long tickets down low, visits with, them at, visits with them after the game, sometimes for an hour, has them walk to his car, walk him to his car, and sends them off with a basket of gifts. And when he's, when he's asked if visiting with sick and dying before a game was a huge distraction, Tim Tebow replied, just the opposite. It's by far the best thing I do to get myself ready. Here, here you are, about to play a game that the world says is the most important thing in the world, win and they praise you, lose and they crush you. And here I have a chance to talk to the coolest, most courageous people. It puts it all into perspective. The game doesn't really matter. I mean, I'll give 100% of my heart to win it, but in the end, the thing I most want to do is not win championships or make a lot of money, is to invest in people's lives to make a difference. To make a difference. He wants to be a servant. Now, so often in professional sports, we see athletes who puff out their chests or put their hand in the line or with a finger pointing to say, I'm number one. It makes me think that we're all pointing to heaven and giving thanks. But I think that, the, that a lot of them are just trying to say, I'm the greatest. See what I did. And it reminds me of Muhammad Ali, who constantly said, I am the greatest. And at the time, he was probably the greatest boxer in the world, but everybody knew that. He didn't have to tell everybody. As if anybody could forget how Muhammad knocked out. Muhammad Ali wasn't a very humble man. I read a story uh, about him uh, with his, and his encounter with a flight attendant. The fastened seatbelt uh, came on, but he refused to buckle up. And when the attendant came to his seat to, uh, to politely ask him to obey the rule, he piped up and said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. Unfortunately, the attendant was very quick, quick-witted because she replied, Superman don't need no airplane, so buckle up. <laughs> now, nobody likes to be around somebody who constantly brags about themselves, how talented or successful they are, or how much money they've got, or how great they think themselves to be. A person who brags about themselves will quickly find that people gravitate away from them instead of towards them. They often find that they don't have many friends because they drive away everybody by their boasting. And so I think it's refreshing to see somebody like Tim Tebow, who doesn't take credit for their success. Instead of boasting about being what a great quarterback he is, he gives glory to God for giving him the talent and the skill required to make those touchdowns. Well, in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14, a verse that was read a few minutes ago, the Apostle Paul talks about pride in relation to, relationship to, relation to our salvation. And he says that as, we, as far as salvation is concerned, personally we have nothing to be proud of. We can't be proud of earning salvation. And we can't be proud of being good enough for God to accept us. The only thing that we can be proud of or we can boast about is 
the cross. He says, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. May I never boast except in the cross of Jesus Christ. And the first thing that we think of as we see in these verse in this verse is that the cross takes away any reason we might have for pride or boasting. Now, if we were to be really truthful, we would probably all have to admit that it's nice, or that we would like to have something to be proud of. We would like to have something to be proud of. It's nice to be able to look at something we've done and say, I'm proud of what I accomplished. It might be something as simple as cutting the grass. I know in the summer when I finish cutting my lawn, I look back and think, that looks good. That's a, that's a job well done. Sometimes we'll say to another person, you don't have to be proud of yourself. If someone does exceptionally well academically, we might tell them they should uh, tell them that not only are we proud of them, but they should be proud of what they achieved. If somebody has done something that's benefited other people, like saving people from a burning building or a car wreck, we might say that they are, they should be proud of themselves for their heroism. And it would be very easy for us to carry over, uh, carry this over to the area of salvation. And we want to be proud of the fact that we have earned or deserved to receive eternal life. That we have earned forgiveness. But the cross of Jesus Christ makes any boasting like that impossible. Because the cross takes away any reason we might have we might otherwise have for being proud of our own efforts to receive eternal life. The cross demonstrates in a very dramatic way that we can do, there is nothing that we can do to make salvation a reality for us. No matter how hard we work at being good or obeying God's laws, we can, we can never be good enough. We can never be obedient enough to be forgiven. We can never earn our salvation. Salvation is a gift. It's neither earned nor deserved. And because it's a gift, we can't be proud of receiving it. In a few weeks, the, uh, the Academy Awards will be given out in Hollywood. The Oscars are given to uh, recognize great achievements in, in movies. And every actor or actress or director hopes to win an Oscar sometime in their, in their career. And when they do, they have a reason to be proud of their achievement. They've earned the award. The Oscars are not gifts. The Oscar is a, a reward for a job well done. And the Oscars are really at the opposite of salvation. Because the cross of Jesus Christ tells us that salvation is not a reward for our great work or our great achievements. Salvation is something that we don't deserve, but that God gives to us because of his great love for us and his desire that we might be with him forever. The cross tells us that we weren't good enough for heaven. The cross takes away any reason we might think we have to boast about who we are or anything or about any of our accomplishments. The cross in fact, declares that we are not good enough. And so God had to find 
another way to provide us with salvation. No one can say, I'm so good, God has to let me into heaven. No one can say, I have accomplished so much that God will be crazy not to let me in. The cross takes away any reason or any, any right to feel pride about being saved. Instead of deserving salvation, eternal life in heaven, we deserve the other destination, separation from God for eternity. The plain fact of the matter is that salvation is a free gift. It can't be bought. It can't be earned. It isn't deserved. In many of his letters, Paul says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. And that's Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Now, when we give somebody a gift, it isn't because <clears throat> they have done anything to deserve it. A gift is not a reward. A gift is given because you care about a person. And when they receive the gift, they may, they have no right to be proud of the fact, or proud about what they've been given. Well, if they're going to be happy, the only thing they might be able to be proud of is that I cared enough about them to give them that gift. A gift is not a reward. A gift is given because of love. When I was growing up, I, I had a fair, I would say a fairly privileged childhood. I know I'm wonderful for anything. My parents were not rich, but they weren't poor either. Um, my parents were able to provide the necessities of life. I always had a roof over my head and clothes on my back and three meals a day. I also got a lot of things that I didn't need, that I didn't know I need. I never, I never remember Christmas where the, the tree wasn't littered with gifts, and I always got a lot of gifts on my birthday. But I always remember that on one occasion, my mother told me that as far as she was concerned, her responsibility was to feed me and clothe me and protect me, to provide the necessities. But she didn't feel that it was her responsibility to give me anything else. She wasn't responsible to give me toys or treats or to satisfy my every whim. Now, of course, I got a lot of that stuff too. But she wanted me to know that it wasn't because I deserved it. It was given to me because she loved me. I couldn't be proud of how important I was. I could only accept the gifts of love that she gave. And I think that in a way, that should be our attitude toward the cross of Jesus. We should be thankful that God cared enough to send Jesus to take our place on the cross. We should be thankful that he loved us enough to want to save us from the natural consequences of our sinfulness. But as we look at the cross, and as we see what a terrible price was paid for our salvation, instead of pride, it really should cause a shame, should cause shame to rise up in us that we were so bad that it took something like the death of the Son of God on the cross to save us. Just think about it. The cross shows us how bad we really are and how much we needed a Savior. The cross demonstrates the grace of God. He gives us something that we don't deserve, forgiveness. No one can go to God and say, 
You have to forgive me. You have to let me into heaven. All of us have to swallow whatever pride we might have in ourselves or our accomplishments. We all have to humbly accept the free gift that God offers to us through the cross of Jesus. Paul could boast about, about the cross because of what it had done in his life. But then I think we also need to remember that it wasn't the cross, really, but it was about the one, but it was the one who hung on the cross that we boast about. It wasn't the cross, it was the one who hung on the cross. Remember that we must remember that the cross was just, is just a symbol. It was just, it was just two pieces of wood that were fastened together. The cross didn't have, uh, doesn't have the power to provide salvation. And uh, because of the shortage of, of large trees in, in Israel, the cross that Jesus hung on had probably not been used multiple times before. It was probably stained with the blood of many criminals. It was, a, it was a cross that would probably be used multiple times in the future. I'm sure that the, if the disciples had gone to the soldiers on, uh, soldiers on the Mount of Golgotha and said, can you have the cross to remember Jesus by? The soldiers would have said, no, it's valuable. You can't have it. it, it, it we, we, we're going to use it again tomorrow. So if you hear about relics or, or pieces of cross that are for sale or are available to be looked at in a museum or a monastery, they're probably not the cross of Jesus because that cross was just two pieces of wood nailed together would be reused time after time after time. It wasn't the cross that was important. It was the one who hung on the cross. And the death of those other people who died on that same cross would not, would not have the ability to provide forgiveness of sin and eternal life. Only Jesus, that particular person dying in that particular place on that particular day, he is the one whom we honor. It was the one who was nailed to the cross who had the power to provide forgiveness. It was because Jesus is, or was, and is God that his death was sufficient to pay the price for our sin. When God set out to, uh, to plan a way for sinful humans to be forgiven, he decreed that the death of one perfect, sinless person could have the power to accomplish that task. That one sinless person could receive the punishment that millions deserve to receive. And when a person realized that how incapable, uh, how incapable they are of pleasing God and believed in that one who had taken their place, that person's death would be applied to their account with God. They would be forgiven and receive eternal life. Problem was, of course, there was no perfect person, no perfect human being available to do the job, because ever since the sin of Adam and Eve in the world They've been stained. Every person has been stained by sin, not qualified to be that once-for-all sacrifice. And God solved the problem by sending his, his Son. He solved the problem by sending the second person of the Trinity to do, to earth, to do the job. But of course, having God die wouldn't solve the problem. It had to be a human being who would take the place of other human beings on the cross. And that's why the incarnation that we celebrate at Christmas was, is so very important. The baby in the manger who grew up to be the carpenter and teacher and miracle worker and then died on the cross was more than a man. 
he was 100% God and 100% man, the God-man, God in human flesh. The nature of God and the nature of man were the only reason that Jesus could live that perfect and sinless life and also demonstrate the power of God. He's the only one who's ever been qualified to be the sacrifice for sin. He's the only one who's noble, who's ever been able to provide forgiveness for the sin that affects each one of us. And so now we often sing songs about the cross, and we place crosses on the wall, or wear them around our neck or on our lapel. We have to remember that it is the one who hung on the cross who is ultimately worthy of our praise. We praise the one who hung on the cross. We can can think about it like this. If we were to go to the Indianapolis 500, we might admire the cars that are being driven, but we praise the skill of the drivers. When the race is over, people don't don't go down and start praising the car for winning the race. Instead, they congratulate the driver for his skill. The car was just the vehicle that he drove to win. And when we think of our salvation, we must remember that it's not the old rugged cross that deserves to be honored. Instead, it is the one who hung upon it who should be praised and glorified. The cross was just the vehicle we used to secure the victory. And when we praise and we glorify Jesus, we remember that our salvation does not depend on anything in us. It depends on the sacrifice of the perfect Son of God who died on the cross for us. In Hebrews 12 and 2, it tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We don't fix our eyes on the cross, no matter as, as one, a wonderful uh, symbol as it might be. We fix our eyes on Jesus who suffered and died there as the perfect sacrifice for sin. The wonderful old hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, reminds us that my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. The symbol of the cross humbles us because it reminds us that there is nothing that we can do to earn or deserve our salvation. It's all about the sacrifice of Jesus. It's all about the grace of God poured out on the cross for us. And then finally, in Galatians 6.14, Paul says that by sharing in, Christ, in Jesus' cross through faith, we part company with the world. The last thing he says in, chapters, in Galatians 6.14 is that the cross, or through the cross, the world has been crucified to him and he to the world. And as I read this, I thought, this is a really lofty statement. Because by saying this, Paul is saying, Paul means that the allurement of the world, the temptations of the world placed in, that the world placed in front of him, the desires for worldly success or achievement or wealth or power had no power over him. They were dead to him. And he was dead to them. The things that the world had to offer or, or, or said were not important. They had no hold on him. He could live for Jesus. Paul was no longer living for himself. He was no longer living just to make a living. He was no longer living for, for power or prestige. He was living for Jesus. The things of the world had no hold on him. 
And it reminded me of a gospel song that, that I think George Beverly Shea used to sing until then. And one line it says, The things of earth will dim and lose their valor if we recall they're borrowed for a while. We have to remember that the things that are on this earth, the things that we hold so dearly to our hearts today, our possessions, our prestige, our authority, our power, are fleeting. They'll be taken away in a second. They won't last for eternity. They won't mean a thing once we are stand before God. The only thing that really matters is what we have done with Jesus and his sacrifice for us. Because of the overwhelming significance of the cross of Jesus and the sacrifice he made for us there, things that seem so important to other people in the world lose their importance to us. The cross of Jesus points us to what is really important, a relationship with God. And when we consider the cost of our salvation, it should make us realize how insignificant in the grand scheme of things, the things of the world really are. Now, how many of us could, um, or can follow Paul, the, the example of the Apostle Paul, and, and become a nomad living on the kindness and generosity of other people? I don't imagine that any of us would be willing to, to walk away from everything we possess. But the lesson that Paul wants us to learn is to put things in their proper perspective. We need to remember and realize that compared to the salvation we receive through the cross of Jesus, the things of the world are next to worthless. We won't take any of our possessions with us. Any fame or prestige that we, that we attain will not do us any good when our life here on earth comes to an end. The only thing that will matter is what we've done with Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross. That is the only thing worth boasting about during life here on earth. Because it's the only thing that will assure, assure us of a wonderful eternal life. So let's pla place the sacrifice of Jesus that is symbolized by the cross in its rightful place in our thinking and, and, in, our, and, in, in, and in importance in our lives. May we boast in it, not in ourselves. May we cling to it rather than the things that the world offers. Because the cross, the one hanging on the cross, is the only thing that's worth boasting about. Let's bow together in prayer. Loving Heavenly Father, today we thank you so much for the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross. We're thankful, Father, that he did what no one, no one else could do. He suffered and he died in our place on that cross for our salvation. Father, we confess that we are sinners. We have not done things that are, we've done things that are displeasing to you. We've not done anything that could, could warrant or, or, or merit you, you providing eternal life for us. And we're thankful, Father, that Jesus loves us and he took all of our sin upon himself. He took our place there on that cross. And Father, we're thankful that, uh, that we can boast in him. We can boast not because of anything that we have done or that we are worthy of, but we can boast in what Jesus has done for us. We can boast that we are your children saved by your grace, saved by your mercy. That we can boast that we, can have, we have a wonderful eternal life waiting for us. 
Thank you, Father, that we can boast in Jesus and his cross. So, Father, we pray that today as we gather around the Lord's table and remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, that you will uh, help us to remember how important that sacrifice was, that we will remember that it is not because of who we are, not because of anything we have done, but it's because of Jesus that you accept us into your family and provide eternal life. And we pray these things now in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.